Hello and welcome to episode four of the iFeatures podcast, a series following the journeys of 12 teams of emerging filmmaking talent across the UK. So far, our teams have all navigated their way through a rigorous application process, pitching to executives from Creative England, the BFI and BBC Films. Then, once invited onto the iFeatures programme, they have attended two separate StoryLab workshops, one in Manchester and the second in Liverpool, where they've been learning from a variety of experts in script development, writing and film production. This month, we are going to be talking to two of our filmmakers on this year's programme about their next steps, beginning their first draft screenplays and their different approaches to this writing process. This story in particular is one that has been in the press. It garnered huge attention in Northern Ireland and in the national press. So I feel there's a weight of responsibility in telling a true story. I wrote various scenes, but after exploring all these different routes, it's actually kind of gone full circle and gone back to staying quite faithful to the initial treatment. We'll also be hearing from two filmmakers who have benefited from being on last year's iFeatures programme to hear how they handled this phase of development and where they are now with those films. First though, I headed over to the Creative England offices to catch up with Head of Film and iFeatures exec, Paul Ashton. Obviously the 12 projects, they're all at different stages. Some of them are still at treatment stage, some of them have already started working on that first draft. Are you setting them specific deadlines? Yeah, they all have contracted deadlines. So all of the projects, we, we're doing it on a kind of largely project by project basis so that we get into early discussions with them about the projects and about how long they need. There's a kind of an end deadline, which is end of March. But everything in between there, we're trying to make sure that it, it tailors to the process and the time and the space that the teams need to do the development work that they've got ahead of them. We then have the labs that sort of sit in amongst that, so that can offer some quite natural sort of marker points along the way. But at this time round, rather than having a series of very kind of strict deadlines for everybody, we've tried to be more flexible to make sure that we try where we can to make the process sort of dovetail around what they feel they really need. And some of the projects are going out and doing more research than others, some of them are going out and meeting real people, some of them are but some of them are much more kind of, you know, creative original ideas where people just need the time and the space to kind of work them out. So, you know, they all have different I think demands and, and um, some of the different filmmakers have quite different sort of approaches and ways at it and you know want to do things in slightly different ways. You have begun sort of partnering up our teams with other producer mentors mm. or uh, script editors. Mm. Whereabouts are you obtaining that pool of people from? Well, in terms of the script editors, between ourselves uh, and the BFI and the BBC, you know, obviously we all have a lot of, sort of development experience, so work with lots of different script editors. So we've we've kind of pulled our thinking, you know, to really help kind of bring in the right people. But actually, a few of the teams have gone out and been very proactive and said, actually, we'd really like to work with so and so. And in some instances, they're people that we don't necessarily have a lot of direct experience with. But um, you know, they've made some really interesting choices in, in terms of looking at the kinds of films and the kinds of filmmakers that have really inspired them and then realising that there's a particular script editor that works with that filmmaker consistently and thinking well actually maybe that person you know could bring a real sort of insight 
to the work that I'm doing. So that's been great. I mean, I think it's um, you know it's been a really interesting mix of people that we know and then people that have been brought to us, um, and also trying to sort of you you know open up our own horizons in terms of it's a very small industry and it's good for us to to work with different people to work with new people not just working with new talent but actually working with the kinds of people who are going to help support and facilitate that talent so it's been a really interesting kind of learning experience in that regard as well um, and then in terms of the mentors as opposed to the script editors because the script editors are doing a very sort of specific technical piece of work on the projects uh, whereas mentoring could really take any form and I think where you know we're still exploring for some of the teams you know who and what that might be but you know for some of them it it, it might be about music, for example, or some of them it might be about design. I mean, it really could be anything that the director feels is is almost like a gap in their knowledge or uh, something that they really want to explore and maybe don't know quite how to go about it. So hopefully it's never as simplistic as saying, well, it's a director, so they want a director, a mentor, or a producer who wants to produce a mentor. I think there are really interesting kind of different ways of going about these things. What do you think makes a good filmmaking team? Uh, trust is the first thing. Uh, they don't necessarily need to have worked together a lot, although you know that's one means by which you can go into a project with a sense of trust. But yeah, a sense that people trust each other's intentions, trust each other's instincts. I think you know people having a kind of a shared taste about the kind of work that they like and how that informs the kind of film that they want to make. You know, if you have producer thinking they're making one film and a director thinking they're making another film then you'll really kind of hit the buffers quite soon so trust taste i suppose there also has to be a kind of a shared approach as well and, and you know the producer's job is to help facilitate what the director needs the director and the writer and the filmmaking team really need to kind of realize the project but also i think that you know the director needs to understand that the produ producer has a job to do and that they have a very big part to play in that and um, I think going into it with a sort of a shared sense of you know how you're going to go about this film is really really important. I think also um, being honest with each other if there's a problem and you sit on it then it won't go away it will only get worse and it's much much better to you know have an open conversation about a problem or an issue or something that is making somebody feel uncomfortable and then and then trying to sort that out it's really important that people feel that they can talk about things that are worrying them in ways that don't necessarily feel kind of either defensive or aggressive that we can facilitate them having an open conversation that isn't necessarily about blame it's just about how somebody feels about the work that they're doing and invariably and inevitably Filmmakers making their debut film, I mean, all films are likely to be personal to them in some way, shape or form, but a debut film, I think more than any other, is kind of bound to be coming from a very sort of deeply personal place, just because, you know, the difficulties of getting a film made and the difficulties of persuading other people to give you the money to make a film, often people will gravitate towards material that they feel they have a sense of kind of authenticity around and ownership of and a real deep understanding of, so they will, they will tend to gravitate towards something that can be personal to them and I think that um, you know that can be quite an exposing thing for them and quite a difficult thing and I think you know we have to sort of help prepare teams for that it isn't just about the technicalities of making a film it's something much kind of bigger and much deeper than that. It was time I checked in on a couple of the teams to see where they were up to and how they were getting on. So first up. It's pulled across the water and I'm Suzanne Cowie I'm the writer. 
There are several writer-directors on the iFeatures programme, but Suzanne is one of the few that is solely writing for her project and working alongside a separate director. I asked her how they came together and what the dynamics are of the relationship. Yeah, well, we sort of, we came together on this. Before iFeatures, I had approached Andrea about it. I was given her name by the Northern Ireland Screen, who had really liked my project and, and suggested Andrea for it. And so I'd sort of been in touch with her about it. You know, she was really busy, schedule, um, an in-demand director. And when iFeatures came up, she sort of really interrogated the material because I think she had her own project she was planning to put in. But anyway, she ended up, she went in with me and we applied to iFeatures and here we are. In terms of having a writer-director relationship, it's interesting for me because film so much a director's medium that really at the end of the day, it is a director's vision of, of what the story will be. However, I love the fact that I have a director to work with because it's like having an extra head. It's amazing. And Andrea's ideas are always spot on and she challenges me and she asks questions that I'm so involved in the material that sometimes I'm forgetting to see the wood for the trees. And she definitely does. So I think for me, it's been nothing but a bonus. Across the Water is based on the true story of a young woman from Belfast who, in 2016, purchased tablets online to terminate her pregnancy, knowing that abortion in Northern Ireland could potentially result in life imprisonment. I think this is the only true story, really, in my features. I mean, some are based in kind of stories or ideas, things that have happened to people, but this story in particular is one that has been in the press. It garnered huge attention in Northern Ireland and in the national press. So I feel there's a weight of responsibility in telling a true story. And so having an extra head is something I'm really grateful for. Well, I was just about to come on to that, the fact that Across the Water is based on a true story. And as you go into write your first draft screenplay, do you think that your film being based on a true story is a help or a hindrance when actually doing the writing? Good question. Tough question. Um, I think it's both. It's a help as in, you know, the story is there. So it's not like I'm, you know, trying to crack what is the story of this and and who are the characters because I have them already. I met the women, I interviewed them. They gave me, you know, they really trusted me and gave me their full stories. However, you know, that whole adage really is important of, you know, you should never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And so I'm taking a true story, but I'm also molding it to make it something that is a great drama, hopefully. And so with that, it's hard because I feel a massive responsibility to the women for a start. There is a girl at the centre of this who was prosecuted for taking abortion tablets and tried to pick up her life after it. And the other women involved in the story had very difficult backgrounds and a lot of tragedy in their lives. And so my whole point of it is they were all victims. And so I think in having a true story, there is a responsibility to those people that not as a hindrance, but it's certainly something you really have to consider because these are people that are alive and these are their lives and it's going to go out, you know, and they're going to see it, well, hopefully. When you wrote the initial treatment, you would have had, like most people, an idea of the narrative of your story. And perhaps yours might be slightly clearer in the fact that it is based on a true story. But what we are seeing, especially over the last two Story Lab workshops, 
is those treatments evolving and not necessarily the stories, but perhaps the approach to the way the story is being told, whether it be tweaking the perspective or a particular facet of characterization, Are they the kinds of things that are evolving and developing for you? Absolutely. I mean, two words, Tim Price. He was amazing at the Liverpool lab that we went to. He did a session all about tools you could use to help you along the way. And he was so brilliant that we immediately stopped him and said, oh my goodness, do you script edit? So Tim has come on board as our script editor. And that very day he looked at me and he said, chronology is not your friend, Suzanne. And it was such a gift (laughs) to say this to me because it's not. And I think I had been very wedded to telling the story as it happened. You know, and I interviewed all the women and I got their story together and I put it in this chronological order. So that was it in my head and he opened up this whole new way of thinking to me in order to structure it differently to be going back and forth between two timelines which is what I've just done in the next treatment and I think it just has lifted it tremendously so we're absolutely looking at ways to tell the story but give it more life and that definitely has I think. I wanted to find out from Suzanne what some of the challenges are when going from a treatment that you've been working on and evolving over a number of weeks to actually starting to write the screenplay. I was a script editor for years on television and the one thing I'm really, really keen on is getting a really solid treatment and scene by scene. You know, I know one writer that just sits down and writes the whole thing and I'm in awe, but I like my little map next to me so as I know where I'm going. And also I think that you waste time if you go to draft too soon. I think it's much better to try to iron out problems early on, particularly structural and characterization and things like that. So if you get those sorted before you go to draft. So yeah, there's been quite a bit of change. And script editors are, are your other head. You know, they're, they're the person that can help you see ways through problems and, you know, have a much better overriding look at the whole piece. They're your support network, really. I mean, I know I'm lucky I've got Andrea and also our brilliant producer, Amy, but I think that Tim just makes me feel like we'll get there, and that's lovely. You know, I wish I could have a script editor in all areas of my life, quite frankly, Andy. It's been several weeks now since this year's iFeatures programme got underway, and the teams have all been progressing through the workshops, evolving their treatments and developing their scripts. It's certainly not something which happens overnight. Last year saw producer Michelle Stein's project, Retreat, successfully navigate through the development labs and selection process for iFeatures funding. Retreat, though, is no ordinary drama. Written and directed by one of the UK's leading deaf filmmakers, Ted Evans, the film is entirely in British Sign Language. I sat down with Michelle to learn more about the development of the film. So Ted is a deaf writer, director. Um, The project itself has been in his head for a really long time. It's actually changed recently, so it's difficult, it's slightly difficult to pitch it, but at the time of application, it was really about a woman called Eva who wanted to join and and initially joined an all-deaf commune. And it's sort of about her integration into that commune from a predominantly hearing world and the sort of quite Machiavellian kind of cult leader at the head of that called Mia. So it was about someone coming from the outside world, the kind of hearing world, who had had quite a bad experience as a deaf person wanting to 
be with her own kind of people, wanting to have ease of communication. But then, obviously, as with most communes, <laughs> things tend to go wrong uh, because of certain power struggles. So that's sort of what it started as. Now it's actually more about a male character, Matt, who has grown up in the commune. And it's his story about experiencing that and wanting to experience life kind of on the outside. So it's more about him now, which is something that we obviously found out during development and is actually quite a recent kind of epiphany that we've all had. Why do you think it was that your idea or your vision has been slightly changed? Well, what kind of sort of revelations or realisations did you come to as a team that led you to make that change? It's interesting. We had a writer involved as well, initially, so it wasn't just Ted. We actually had two writers. We had somebody that had written the treatment with Ted initially, and then somebody that wrote the first draft of the script, and then Ted as well. So it's interesting that it, it didn't quite work. You know, even when we brought in other people, that the story of the character was called Grace at the time, it just never quite worked. And we tried it many different ways, and we didn't quite know why it wasn't working. And then, quite recently, Ted came up with a new ending for the film. And that ending spoke to me of a different character's story. So basically, I kind of said, look, this ending is really interesting, because we all agreed that it was really interesting. But it feels like the ending to this character's story, not the ending to the character's story that you're supposed to be writing about. Um, and that seemed to really hit a chord with him. And we all liked the ending and it's weird. So we kind of like reverse engineered it and that it was like, okay, this ending would be important to a character who has grown up inside the commune, not one who has just joined the commune. So that was really the, the moment where we thought, Do you know what, I think we've got the wrong story and <laughs> we need to change it. And since that, Ted has written another treatment based on that. And all of the executives involved in the film agree that this feels much more genuine and that it's the right track to go down. So he's now currently writing a draft based on that. It sounds really interesting to hear that an aspect of the narrative can be something which can be so convincing for the team that they're prepared to relinquish all of the other ideas that they had been committed to mm. throughout a development process. Mm. Is that difficult? Well, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff, a lot of the other characters, a lot of some of the plot details, the world is the same, you know, so you, we still have a commune, we still have a lot of basic elements it's the main character. It's the story now of someone that has grown up inside a, a commune and hasn't had access to the outside world, which is very, very different to, obviously, someone who's grown up in the outside world and then suddenly has access to a commune. It's a completely different story. And it's really, at the end of the day, it's kind of about what you want to say in the film. And we only, you know, during this sort of evolution of the story, have managed to help Ted say what he wants to say because we've asked many times you know what is this about what is this about and i think that is something that a lot of filmmakers struggle with that they they have a, a general sense of what it's about but like the real specificity of that sometimes comes really late and that's kind of been the case with this i think that ted has known the ballpark of, of what this is about for a really long time but only funnily enough when he 
presented this new ending, did we all understand, oh, that's what it's about. And that's come, like, after the project's been greenlit. So we all knew that he had it in him to find that, but it's taken a while to find it. And, you know, it's taken a lot of uh, belief on the executive's part as well that we would find it. Um, so, so far, they've been very patient. <laughs> this is not uncommon in script development. Burying yourself deep into a project can often result in these eureka moments occurring quite far down the line. But changing the ending is not the only challenge the team behind Retreat are faced with. Making a feature film entirely in British Sign Language throws up a few logistical hurdles too. Yeah, there's probably a whole podcast or a series of podcasts about that. Um, it's really interesting because obviously, well, God, where to start? Sign language is a visual language. And we're writing a script, which is a written language uh, in English, just to clarify that. You can't write in sign language, but you can record sign language via video. So it's really interesting. So uh, we are writing an English script, but eventually that will be abandoned and it will be turned into a BSL script effectively, which really will be developed by the actors with the director. So it will, at the time of production, it will turn into a completely different entity that really lives off the page, you know, way earlier than an English language feature film would live off the page. So whereas with a, um, an English language or any written and spoken language converts into pictures, at the time of production, this will have to convert to pictures earlier than that because the whole language of BSL has to be developed by the people that are in the film. So during the rehearsal period, the script will start to be slightly ignored and it will become something that is living, which is quite unusual. And what's the next stage now for Retreat? We're casting at the moment. So the way that, again, this is complicated, so that's why I could talk about this forever. But um, so Ted had to take a good week and a half, two weeks out of his writing schedule to record a casting video. Because obviously, as BSL is a visual language, you know, we, we didn't want to just provide an, an English written document. We wanted to provide a video because if their first language is sign language, we would prefer to communicate in sign language. So that's what we've done. And we're now kind of reviewing the applications that have come in and then we'll invite certain people to audition. Um, so going forward, really, it'll be more drafts of the script, locking down the location, locking down the cast, more drafts of the script, and then starting to engage our HODs. Uh, we do have certain HODs in place already that have worked with Ted before, and we're hoping, yeah, to shoot late summer next year. If you'd like to learn more about Retreat, please see the link in this episode's show notes. There's also a full transcript of the episode available to download. Speaking to Michelle reminded me just how much plate spinning is required from each of the producers attached to these projects. It's a really tough job, and one that we'll be exploring in more detail in a future episode. For now, it's back to the writing, and another of last year's iFeatures alumni. Eva Riley is the writer and director of Perfect 10. The film has now finished shooting and is being edited in post-production. 
Yeah, so it's about uh, basically about a 15-year-old gymnast who's kind of living with her dad, who's a bit distant, and she's kind of lost her confidence in gymnastics for a lot of reasons. And right in the midst of stepping up to her first sort of big competition on the squad, she has this half-brother who arrives in her life very unexpectedly and abruptly, and she had no idea she had a brother. And then it's about their relationship and her brother is interested in bikes like biking, um, motorbikes, dirt bikes and also he does bits of petty criminal things um, and they end up doing bits and pieces together. But essentially it's just about these two teenagers and their life. How long did the whole writing process take for you? Okay, I wrote throughout 2016. You know, it was quite difficult film to develop, I have to, have to be honest. Um, so I decided to keep on writing it. So 2017 and delay the production. Um, so I think it must have been like a year, a year and a half of like I features writing with about a year before that of like throwing around ideas and coming up with initial stuff with Jacob, our producer. What was it that was making it challenging to develop that? I guess as a writer, I really like quite simple ideas. And this was like the opposite of that um, because it had gymnastics, it had motorbikes, it had two characters. There was lots of strands in it. And I'd also never written a feature before. I just really was always trying to get it down to this very simple storyline. And I was sort of getting pulled down different avenues, like turning into like sort of like a classic crime film or a classic sports film. And I guess not really just bringing it back to what I like, which is something really simple and not focusing on other genres of filmmaking and stuff. So I just, it just took a long time to get this very simple and clear story. Luckily I had my producers and the iFutures people helped me out with some script development support and some really nice um, script, uh, script editors. Script editors, And yeah. they really helped me to sort of bash out like what actually this film was about. So I think it just took a long time to work out what this story was going to be. Were there any other people or processes that you went through to try and sort of fine-tune the direction that you wanted to take the story in? Yeah, um, it's just like a lot of other people's support. Like I really like talking out ideas with other people a lot. So I had script editors and then I also had my producers. Like I had in the end I had three producers in the project. First of all I was working with Jacob Thomas. We did a lot of work developing it. And then Valentina Brazzini, who was one of my producers, became like really, really close to me in terms of developing the, the idea. And I think that's so important as a writer director. It can be quite a lonely thing, mm. developing a feature idea and just having people close to you who really get what you're trying to do and like really supporting you to work out what you want to say is, is really important. And I had, towards the end of the process, I had two particularly good script editors. And that was so helpful just to talk out stuff and work out myself like what I wanted to do with the story. Eva's appreciation of that support network is clearly evident. It's not the first time that the writing process has been described as a lonely thing. Earlier, we heard from the writer of Across the Water, Suzanne, about the benefits of collaborating with her director and bringing a script editor on board at treatment stage. When Hardy Spate entered this year's programme, he was flying the filmmaker's flag alone. A writer and director for his project A Dying Animal, the iFeatures team were tasked with trying to find Hardy a producer to help steer the ship while he focused on writing duties. So now you started the programme producer-less. Yeah, I came in producer-less and then I think it was through various contacts, uh, Creative England and BBC had advanced in contact with Screen 7 and Hannah Thomas and went in and had a little meet with her. It's actually really benefited me hugely. 
Manchester actually because I got put in contact with Screen Serpent, who are a fantastic company that have produced dramas and features and they just really know what they're doing even from a point of story editing as well and I mean that's just around the corner from my office it's actually in Cardiff so I didn't even realise they were there they didn't realise I was there um, but I kind of met up with them and we just had a coffee to see if we connected and that was me, Hannah Thomas and Ed Telfan as well so we kind of sat down and talked about really the kind of central story thing which is about these boys in Port Talbot and the lack of choices and uh, trying to climb their way out of the poverty gap to find something that has meaning for them and both Hannah and Ed really connected with it I know they've shot some stuff in Port Talbot before but they understood the themes, they understood the central emotions of the characters so there was like an instant connection. Hardy's approach to developing the screenplay for his film is slightly different to that of Suzanne Cowie and others on this year's programme. I think a lot of people were kind of aiming for a long treatment first but I jumped into doing the first draft only because I felt like I had to get the nuts and bolts of it down and be able to see the broad narrative arc of it so I could see what was wrong, what wasn't working. I find it really hard just to work purely conceptually or working with the characters until I see them on a timeline and I can connect their relationships and build those bridges between different plot points. I can't see what's working and not working, so I jumped in, did the first draft which I shared with Spring 7, and we're just working on that first draft. We've done some storylining days. So we worked it through with them, and I've had a meeting with Creative England, BBC, BFI, and they gave feedback. And now I'm just looking at moving into the second draft and trying to consider some of the advice they've given me, because it's been like that. It's been very kind of their advising directions it can take and what will make the story and the narrative richer and exploring certain characters. So at the moment, it's all very positive. It's quite interesting to hear, for you personally, you'd benefit more from getting an idea of a timeline of narrative so that you can then look at filling in your characters, so to speak. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I don't, it's just it's just a way that seems to naturally work for me. It seems like I've got an urgency where I want to get on and work anyway, and it doesn't satisfy me just to work up a treatment. You know, I kind of want to see it in its entirety yeah. and then start to flesh things out. And once I know every plot point, then I know what the impact is later on down the line in the script. And it just works. It's more of a kind of sculpting process for me like that. How would you say, if at all, your idea and your vision that you had initially has evolved? I don't know, you know, it's strange because it did evolve and it was shot off in various different tangents and, and I tried different things in my head, but at the end of the day, well, I put it down on the page as well, I wrote various scenes, but after exploring all these different routes, it's actually kind of gone full circle and gone back to staying quite faithful to the initial treatment. And I don't know why, it's because I was trying to balance so many different things, but it, yeah, I, I've gone back to the original treatment, so it's remained quite faithful. I think certain characters have taken more of a role. They've naturally, they're, they're the kind of characters you enjoy writing for, and that's in the first draft. And now it's about going back and making sure that I've got the balance and the waiting for all of the characters across the narrative. But at the moment, it's staying faithful to theme, I think. There are several ways of approaching the writing of a screenplay and Hardy's method of just getting a first attempt out onto the page as quickly as possible is what is sometimes affectionately referred to by the execs as a vomit draft. 
It isn't perfect by any means, but it can help some writers to see the whole image. Kind of like when you get all the pieces of a jigsaw out on display before piecing them together. Then it's about refining, unpicking or changing things all together when you go back to the screenplay for a second time. What's sort of the next step for you at the moment? Next step is second draft, and I found the second draft quite hard, actually. I find it easier getting out on the page and blocking it out and writing the scenes in and discovering everything. Then when you have to go back in, it feels so dense, and it's partly dense and it's partly precious because actually, well, this works here, and it's a bridge to this, and if I take that out, everything falls apart. But my experience in my uh, return to the script is that I've just got to rip it apart. So it's really kind of throwing everything out um, temporarily to say, well, how do I get back into it? And what if I write this scene at the beginning and I change the beginning, middle, end? And it's, it's throwing everything out and starting again whilst you've still got your original template. But just to explore it further and develop some relationships outside of the narrative I've already laid down. And then I can return to my original drafts that everyone's seen and responded to and then see what I can work in from this second pass. Are you giving yourself any deadlines or are there any being set by the execs specifically for you? Yeah, no, we, we've got deadlines. We've kind of got it scheduled out uh, into next year. So I work to a deadline which I'll deliver to Screen 7 and then I'll get their feedback. We'll work through various things, various beats, storylines, and then I might return to it to do another pass on it before I pass it on to the execs. Then I'll send it on to them a week later, and then I think about a week or two weeks later they'll feedback. It's all very structured. And I was saying the other day to someone, I mean, you can't underestimate how wonderful it is really having a deadline to drive you. And there's been a couple of instances where I've had a deadline that I've worked to and then it's shifted by two weeks and you're like, oh no, but I've just spent all this time working the script up to this final deadline. It's shifted by two weeks, but it's just given me a secondary deadline. So it's all good for me. And I think as a writer, I think you can spend five years writing a script that really means something to you as well. And that's the thing, when it's an authored voice in a way and you're going to something that's very real and kind of emotionally you, you can spend a long time trying to get this out on the page. So being put into a kind of process like this, I think it's really helpful to just getting the work done. On the next episode of the iFeatures podcast, we are heading to Leeds for the third series of workshops. After two story labs, it's now time for the director's lab, where the teams will explore the many facets of film development and production from a director's perspective. They'll spend time with various heads of department, like directors of photography, casting, production design, sound and music. They'll learn more about how directors approach acting and performance, and they'll be physically exploring their own work with actors. Thanks for listening to the episode. I've been your host, Andy Johnson. If you'd like to get in touch about anything you've heard on the podcast or to share your thoughts on the series, we can be found on Twitter at iFeaturesUK. And please do leave us a review and rating on your podcast app, as this really helps us to become more discoverable so more people can learn about film development. Don't forget to subscribe to the series in your app, and then next month's episode will just drop into your feed when it's released. This podcast is brought to you by Creative England, a national body that invests in creative talent and businesses across film, TV, games and digital media to help turn ideas 
into reality. This series was created and produced by Tonality Media and hosted by me, Andy Johnson. iFeatures is led by Creative England and supported by BBC Films, Creative Skillset and made possible through National Lottery funding from the BFI. You can find more information about the programme and the final 12 filmmaking teams on the iFeatures and Creative England websites. <laughs>